Welcome to By the Glass, a podcast dedicated to boozy beverages and the people who make and drink them. I'm your host, Chris Paldoyan. All right, so last week, we took a deep dive into the sparkling wines of England, which represents one of the most exciting frontiers in Western Europe. This week, we're going to head east. We're going to head way the fuck east. We're going to go all the way to Serbia. Uh, This was a really fun episode to record because coming into it, I knew virtually nothing about Serbian wine. Um, And I mean, I've always really enjoyed the wines from Serbia's neighboring countries like Hungary to the north and Macedonia and Greece to the south. Um, But that area of Central Europe, I've always found creates really dynamic wine that offers great value. And as a sommelier, you're goal so often is to introduce people to things that they haven't had before, whether it's a new flavor profile, a new texture, or a new region. Um, So to walk me through the history, geography, and viticulture of Serbia, I linked up with Georgia Bikisby, whose eponymous winery is located in the northern region of Fruška Gora. He's perhaps best known for his skin macerated wines, so Georgia and his importer Grant Richardson of Pangea Selections joined me for a call in late October to discuss Serbian wine. The first voice you'll hear is mine. We're talking to Georgia about his orange wine from Tremina. Uh So we'll just jump right in. Cheers. Is that when you bottled it a couple of months ago? or? Uh, we bottled it in July, I think. Three okay. months ago. And this is the first one without the sulfites at all. Wow. So all right. Yeah. Anything any other major changes this vintage? I mean it's still skin contact, uh, trainer. Yes. Yes, yes. Uh we changed one wine only. We have trainer, regular trainer, but we uh, d- did uh, fermentation in uh, ceramic amphoras. So Where do you source your amphora? New new gadgets. Uh, these are Italian one. Mm. It, they're slightly, I think, better because they in regular amphoras you have uh, quite oxidation and they are very porous. How can you say? Yeah, very and, porous. Yeah. Yeah, and this is ceramics, uh, more refined. And uh, oxygen uh, is uh, comes in smaller amounts, so the wine is uh, not so oxidative mm. in character. So we want to preserve uh, the fruitiness in wine. Exciting that you got that uh, new vintage all bottled up, and it's tasting all right. Sounds like you had a chance <laughs> to try a little bit. It's good. Well, Georgia, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, we're really excited to have you, you know, it's middle of the afternoon here, but we know it's pretty late on your end. It's pretty wild. When you said the timing that you were available to chat, not a lot of people would say from 10 in the evening until one in the morning. I don't know. Are you normally a night owl? Do you stay up very late? No, no. This period, things are, uh, starting to be quiet in our, uh, uh, house because, my uh, older uh, uh, child, my daughter, she often goes to sleep at this time. So afterwards, I am free and, and everything here is calm. Well, it's late October at this point. I imagine all your fruit's been picked. 
and everything at this point is in tank fermenting doing its thing how was harvest for 2020 uh i think uh, this might be uh best harvest ever for us uh really? okay the the yields were extremely slow uh, uh low but at the end we only care about the the quality of the wine so uh this year we had uh up from 0.7 to 0.9 uh, kilos per vine, mm. which is uh, without any reduction uh, during the, the 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 June July. So this is the, the second year we are fully organic, and yeah, everything was extremely healthy. Like 98% of the grapes were very uh, healthy and i think that we picked the grapes at uh, the time when we wanted in uh, phenolic ripeness imperfect what 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 we wanted to achieve so the the bottom lines 2020 will be very very good for whites especially so it's a it's a shitty year for humans across the board 2020 <laughs> but great year for grapes so inverse relationship Some, there, so something like that yes yes awesome fun well um before we get any further let's introduce everyone we've got grant on the line grant is the uh importer for your wines here in texas he is the founder of pangea selections grant are you drinking anything at the moment do you have any wine you have a little I, uh, something snagged, on the side i snagged one of the three last bottles of uncensored i have um so i'm about to crack that open as well um, all right i love it today was one of those days i joked that like as an importer half the time are the really fun days when you're in restaurants and bars and just getting to talk about wines that you're really passionate about and yeah. half the days are days where you're battling ttb and doing bookkeeping and all those <laughs> sorts of tasks and so today was one of those days so Oof. i'm uh, i'm excited to be opening a bottle of wine at four o'clock there you go i love it very good <laughs> yeah and then georgia so Serbia, right, if we wanted to kind of like paint the picture for a bunch of like dumb Americans that maybe don't know exactly where Serbia is as a country, right? We're in Eastern Europe, south of Hungary, north of Greece. In terms of like geography, we're kind of like nestled in a kind of mountainous area, right? Uh, well, uh, uh, Serbia actually has... Uh, uh central part eastern and western are little bit hilly but mm -hmm. uh, a northern part where we are which is called vojvodina is completely flat uh, the only mountain is fruška gora where we have our vineyards and it's a mountain with highest altitude, uh, 550 meters, which is like not a serious mountain at all. So Vojvodina is completely flat and the rest of Serbia is, uh, we have a, a mountain which goes about 2000 meters. So yeah, that northern but, part of Serbia is the Pannonian plain, right? The same yes. kind of like plain that you find in Southern Austria, you find in Hungary, right? Yes, correct. Yeah. correct. 
briefly, I would uh, describe uh, uh, geographic position of, of Serbia, like between east and west. All, all, all. Uh, uh, before in history, we were uh, really strategically, geographically, like attacked on from all sides, and we are even with uh, some. Um, national like uh, attitude we are between east and west so mm-hmm. i would say it's, it's uh, something between that and in terms of history right like if we go back you know thousands of years to like the time of the romans right like there's a there's a long history of winemaking in serbia yeah Correct. Yes, the first uh, uh, Roman emperor uh, uh, who 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 brought uh, wine to Fruška Gora was uh, King Probus. It was the third uh, uh, third century uh, after the Christ. So uh, on uh, today's Serbia, uh, eighteen. Roman emperors were born on our area where today is Serbia and around 10 of them at Fruška Gora. Hmm. So something in the water there. I mean, people, yeah, it's a very uh, fertile area for, for, for royalty, I guess. It's on uh, the the coast of the Danube. It's as I, I said already, the only, mountain in uh, in Vojvodina and it has an exceptional uh, term for fruit. Grant, you had the opportunity to go there and visit, right? Yeah, so I was there in March. Um, so I was kind of doing some visits with wineries throughout Serbia, Bulgaria, Albania, but just really kind of loved the time that I spent in Serbia. It was listening to you talk about like the Pannonian plain. It was funny. It reminded me so much of the drive, like from Austin to Waco, just like those flat agricultural fields. And then all of a sudden you see this like big, beautiful ridge in the distance and you kind of like cross into that, which is Frushigora and the rivers right down below. It's a pretty neat area. And yeah, it's just been fun to kind of, uh, I don't know, get, get into Serbian wine and learn a little bit more about it and work closer with Georgia. Yeah, totally. And the varieties that are planted there, I mean, there, I know there's some Pinot Noir. I know that there's some other things, but maybe you both can tell me a little bit about what are the grapes that grow really well in that region of Frushka Gora. Who, who will tell me? <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about what I know, and then George could uh, correct me on everything that I say wrong. <laughs> there we go. So, I mean, I found that Serbia, when you look on the map of Europe, it's you know relatively far south. We're talking probably kind of similar. You're as far south as like um, central Italy, right? Fruška Gora is on same as Bordeaux. It's on mm. same altitude as Bordeaux. So I think that it does matter that we are like on a central part of the world where the climate and condition, comb- com- combination of continental and Mediterranean. And then I think the cool thing about Fruškagora as well is that it's this, at least most of the the vineyards that I saw are on this north-facing slope um, right above the river. So you get this moderating breeze and from the river. It helps moderate temperatures as well. Uh, but being north-facing as well, it seems to really have developed as kind of a great home for Pinot Noir, um, Trometer, 
convert streaminers, some of these grapes that we think of as being a little bit more cold, cold climate up in, you know, Germany and Alsace, uh, mm-hmm. but seem to be really flourishing in this region as well. Some of those like uh, grapes, I guess, would have been brought over during that period during Roman Emperor, the Roman Empire, right? That's when these grapes were being brought over. Or do you see that there's a lot of things that have been brought over in the past, you know, 50 to 100 years? Uh, actually, we had uh, we have a lot of our indigenous hmm. grapes. Uh, uh, at, at my home, I have a book from uh, 1804 where uh, in, in in which our uh, writer he described more than 30 indigenous varieties only connected with this area of mm-hmm. Frushka Gora. Uh, uh, some of them today are famous in Hungary, for example, Furmint, which is uh, international variety. Uh, nowadays and i think that only after that period th- those that international uh, varieties uh, uh, came uh, su- su- such as traminer uh, who uh, was planted at frushkagora uh, somewhere at the start of 19th century uh, italian count odescalchi he protected uh, uh, Vienna from Ottoman Emperor, hmm. and um, uh, afterwards, um, the king of uh, uh, Austrian he gave him a land at Frushka Gora, and since he was Italian, he brought Traminer from a village called Traminer in Italy to Frushka Gora. So. Uh, Traminer is there for 200 ye- years, and I think that we can talk about him not as indigenous, but so- somehow when uh, it is for more than 200 years, it accepts everything which that soils give him. So somehow it started to be indigenous as well. You know, we're looking at a part of the world that was so heavily influenced by the Soviets, right? Places that were, you know, satellite countries for the USSR, right? I'm Armenian. And when you look at all the countries Uh, around there, you know, you can see the way that the Soviet kind of control impacted negatively in a lot of cases, wine production. There wasn't the ability to create you know, more inventive styles of wine or make a more artisanal, you know, small production wine. It was more about, you know, quantity over quality. And then, of course, a lot of these countries have experienced resurgences over the past, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, We've seen it in Hungary, we've seen it in Georgia and to a smaller extent in Armenia. But within Serbia, I imagine that's the case too. Maybe, Grant, you can talk about like other countries that you've seen similarly affected. And then, Georgia, maybe you can talk about within Serbia kind of that experience. Yeah, I think that that same underlying story exists so much throughout Eastern Europe. I mean, you can talk about it from happening in Hungary all the way over to Georgia and Armenia, like you just mentioned. And that same underlying theme of just oppression and then just renaissance in the wine scenes um, seems to be true. Um, when I was in Bulgaria and Albania, also in the springtime, um, it was a very 
parallel story. You know, it was people who were just now getting access to capital, um, who were just now kind of being able to launch these small businesses that are worthy of international attention, but just hadn't really got it because it does take that 10, 15 years to really establish oneself in the wine business and, mm-hmm. and to get the fruit and then also the seller equipment that it really can, can require to kind of, um, yeah, you can't just flip a switch and suddenly start a winery. It takes yeah. a little more time than that. Yeah, that might be the, the succinct way of saying it, yeah. of what I'm trying to get at. Georgia, did you feel that way or have you experienced that yourself in, in your interactions with other winemakers? Uh, see, uh, our history goes uh, really in, in wine business, it, it's all about ups and downs. Uh, before the, the second uh, World War here in Serbia, we had many uh, private wineries, very good. Uh, but after the Second World War, we became a, a social country. Yugoslavia was uh, formed and everything was ruined in a way. Everything was state-owned. And you could only make certain type of grapes and sell it to national wineries. And we uh, we had uh, huge quantities of cheap and bad wine. So then after the Yugoslavia uh, 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 broke at the start of 1990, private companies were again formed. But actually at the start of 21st century, it was started again. So our, today our country has only 20 years in wine business and most of the wineries only 10. So we are all new and we all of us has uh, good energy and everything because we are building everything almost from zero. That's wild. So who do you kind of like turn to when you want to like bounce ideas off of someone? Is it fellow winemakers in the region of Frushka Gora or is, do you talk to other people in different parts of Serbia? Do you talk to people in parts of Western Europe? Like where do you normally go to kind of collaborate or, you know, hash things out if you have questions and things like that? Who do you go to for that? Uh, actually, in our low intervention uh, society in Serbia, there isn't so many of us. Like, there are five of us. Wow. Uh, I have a, <laughs> I have a opportunity and I'm very satisfied to work with Oscar Maurer, who is uh, uh, working for almost 30 years up to now in the same way. And he has a lot of experience and a lot of uh, contacts because he is a Hungarian guy and uh, his contacts are mostly from that part. I am looking all the time to Slovenia, for example. We were there a couple of times and I love to go there, especially to, to see what are they doing with the skin contact. Whites, I think they are probably the best in the world. The type of Slovenia, Goriška Brda, especially. So that is the region where I get all the influences from. So like what producers in that part of Slovenia, close to the Friuli border, are like your go-tos? Yeah. 
Is it like Grovner? Uh, is it like who who do you uh, kind of like look to? Franco Terpin, if you know him and Clinet. Uh, yeah, yeah. For example, he's a good guy. Uh, there are several others like um, okay, Radicon is uh, example of uh, more uh, underground approach. Yeah. Uh, but I would say my favorite one is Terpin Franco. That's interesting that kind of Slovenia is the benchmark or at least kind of like the filter through which you see a lot of these, you know, skin contact wines. Yeah. They, they, they were as a society in Yugoslavia, they were the first one who broke the boundaries and who were able to make a, a private, uh, uh, some of them was also allowed to act as a, a private winery during Yugoslavia, which mm. was outside of the box completely. So they are uh, near Italy. Some of them are half Italian, some Slovenian. So it was, I would say, easily for them to pick up some influence. And uh, since they, they were all the time uh, uh, strictly nature-oriented as a, a country, it was a easy thing for them to go in that path as the first one from a region. And Grant, your import company, uh, Pangea Selections, you're kind of focusing on some of these undiscovered wine regions. You know, you're looking at things coming from countries like you mentioned in Eastern Europe, Albania, Serbia, uh, Bulgaria. You know, Hungary, I think you've got a producer from there as well. Do you find that within the world of natural wine coming from these countries, there's kind of a unifying characteristic uh, beyond just like winemaking methods? I think so. I think there's definitely a, um, a spirit of just kind of getting out there and going against the grain a bit. Yeah. Um, that these producers are just very enthusiastic about um, kind of breaking the mold. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's just a really fun energy to work with. Um, like I think if I was to import heavily, heavily out of, you know, Burgundy or Bordeaux, I'm not going to add anything new to the conversation by doing that. Um, but I think by finding and working with producers in areas that we see a lot less of in Texas, it makes Mm -hmm. our wine scene more interesting um and then i think it's just more satisfying for me as well to be able to um support people like bakiski um and you know watch him have his success and to be able to you know convert to organic and grow and produce more wine and that's the sort of thing that i'd much rather see my investment support so yeah it, it's there's definitely a unifying spirit of just kind of breaking the mold a little bit Mm -hmm. and in parallel with getting back to the earth at the same time. I know there's a little bit like the sound a little bit in conflict with each other, but I think that because a lot of commercialized wine, especially from, you know, Eastern Europe has become so heavy handed um, that they do kind of work in unison. Uh, I I just want want to go uh, back and say that I'm still surprised how he, uh, decided to have idea to import the wine from Serbia and Albania. Like people are asking me, and I don't know how to describe that. So I, 
<laughs> well, his idea to come to Serbia all the way from USA, like to 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 check that we have a wine. You know, we are not, we don't exist on a map or as a wine producer in the world, and I'm so aware of that. So we are under the ground, you know. As well, how did you country. guys meet one another? How did you guys first connect? So I think we connected via Facebook, actually, which is, is funny to circle back to. I uh, I knew I wanted to go to Eastern Europe, um, again, just kind of focusing on these areas where I think that um, there's a, that kind of exciting attitude towards small production wineries. Um, and that kind of coincided with a lot of the tariff situation going on in Western Europe. Um, so that was kind of my driving force to looking to some of these less developed wine regions, or at least less developed in our markets, um, in Eastern Europe. Um, so I had kind of narrowed it down to a handful of wineries through a few different countries that really seemed to, um, kind of jive with my philosophy, um, and seem like they had the capacity to be people who could export. Um, so I reached out to a number of them and, um, so Georgia and I got in contact with each other. He sent me some samples of wine and I was blown away. Um, and it was really just like kind of a driving force for me to say like, okay, I need to be on the ground and meet this guy and go see what Mm -hmm. he's doing. And you went to a, Georgia, you go ahead. No, no, no. And he said, I will come to Serbia, you know, to, to check you. I was like, wow, this guy is so serious. <laughs> uh, you see, I am a small winery, a young winery. So I I didn't have so many experts at that time. Mm-hmm. So it was for me like a crazy idea that some guy from America will come only because, okay, me and some other wineries to other uh, place in the world, you know, to check it was a surprise and afterwards he said like yeah i won i i I will buy your wines and that was again surprise for me so still and georgia where else do you export wine to outside of the country is it to western europe is it to other countries in eastern europe is it to the united states what's kind of the breakdown to to western to to finland to denmark uh to Switzerland, to to ne- to Netherlands, uh, Italy, and Croatia, hmm. and USA. So seven. There we Can- go. Can- yeah. So things are going really good. It's funny to list to hear you list all those uh, Scandinavian countries because I feel like with all my producers, I'm fighting for allocation against the Scandinavians right now. Really? What is yeah. it? What do you think it is about Scandinavia that that they want these wines? Grant, do you do you have any inclination as to why that might be going on? You know, I don't. I haven't spent any time there, so I don't have a whole lot of um, context to answer that question. My guess would be I think that they're a fairly um, mindful culture when it comes to like where they're sourcing products from. Um, so I think that natural wines and low intervention wines. Um, are kind of just a, a natural fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think, you know, I, my experience with Scandinavian cuisine is pretty limited, but I do think with the cuisine that there's a decent fit as well with, you know, a lot of these like macerated white wines as well with Scandinavian cuisine. 
Yeah, it's a good fit. I would I would agree. Things that are kind of like fermented cuisine or preserved food, you know, that sort of flavor profile. Georgia, anything why you think those wines are so popular up there? I think the same as Grant. So yeah. I, I don't have anything to add. I think that they are okay. I don't know compared to to you guys, but compared to uh, Serbian, they are so ahead of uh, way of thinking, you know, and way of living. And when they don't have a daily problem such as we have here in Serbia, then you can concentrate how to improve your life in terms of what you eat what you drink you know they are in terms of uh, salaries they are quite good so mm-hmm. they can afford to buy good organic wine all around the world so i think grant you might be able to answer this question really well how do these wines kind of work within the texas market because george is telling us a lot of really great things about kind of the context of these wines in Serbia, but how, how how are they being received here on the market? So it's been really fun to work with these wines over the last nine months or so now, um, just because, you know, people are really starting to get excited about orange wine, which is a large part of the Bakiski portfolio that I've brought in. Um, and so just trying to be able to explain to these people what orange wine is and why they should be interested in wine from Serbia. Um, Initially, it was a bit of a gamble, frankly, because it is so outside of people's comfort zone in the Texas market. Um, But people have been really receptive to it and really excited to learn about um, kind of like the thousand year old winemaking tradition in Serbia that we've talked a little bit about um, and just learning about kind of how it ties into the rest of Eastern Europe and kind of the winemaking culture there. Um, So in terms of like receptiveness, people have been really stoked, which has been great. Um, and then even with food culture, I think that it makes a lot of sense as well. Um, yeah. Like what are some of the things that people have been pairing with these wines? Like when you've been out selling them to restaurants, like what have been some of the like more epic pairings you've had? Um, so locally, I, I'm not sure if I've had any of these paired yet at the restaurants they've been placed in. Um, but some of the places they've been going are really eclectic menus. Um, with orange wines, you get this integration, especially with George's wines, um, this integration of like the aromatics and floral qualities of Sauvignon Blanc and Tremina with those tannins. Um, so they're really versatile. Um, they work well with fermented foods, with fish all the way to beef. They can run the gamut of, of meats. Um, with fried food, it's really nice and refreshing as well. So I think that that's one reason people have been excited about these wines is just because they are really versatile. Yeah. I mean, I always tell people orange wine is some of the most food friendly wine out there just because like you have the acid and vibrance of a white wine, you have that heightened floral character, but you have a little bit of the structure of red wine too. So like with things like pork or, you know, like maybe meatier fish, like swordfish or something like that, or something that just has more like bold, assertive flavors that can do an amazing job kind of holding up to those elements and textures. Yeah, I totally agree. Hell yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the wines that you make at your winery. We've talked kind of generally about Serbia, but I know you make orange wine, which is what you're both drinking right now. Um, We've got rosé. Uh, white wine, you make a dessert style wine, I think. So 
Do you want to just walk us through some of these wines and then grant if you have anything you want to add to what Georgia says about each one, maybe talking about how they work in the Texas market, that might be really cool. Sure. Uh, okay, for uh, a start, we uh, in 2019 we start to produce uh, sparkling uh, wine with the pet nut method, which is mm-hmm. a new, new new thing for us in Serbia. Uh, we are the first one to to make that style. I was all around the Europe. Uh, dr- drinking those, those type of mm-hmm. wines, so then we decided like to make it. Was Serbia making prosecco style wine before, like no, tank method, or no, was it uh, champagne method? Only champagne uh, okay. method, and it started from 2010, something like that. Okay, we have a history in Yugoslavia, but now uh, some uh, better wineries are starting with champagne method. And we decided, like, uh, since we are doing low intervention uh, uh, approach, we don't want to add anything. So then we can make only a pet uh, nut wine. And uh, this year we, again, uh, did uh, three pet nut from Sauvignon, Pinot Gris, and Pinot Noir. And we this time we added a little bit of... Uh, macerated stuff into that so it's a, a mixture and uh, the colors are awesome and we are uh, waiting for a spring 2021 to re- release it in market so uh, that is the first then we have uh, uh, two uh, wines which don't go to a wood at all one of them is called Sfera was uh, it's uh, fermented and aged in concrete spherical tank and that is how it's got the name so it's a, a 3000 liter concrete tank where you just put the juice and let everything else the the, na- the nature to do uh, uh so we have a 2019 uh, grant is thinking about that so maybe in the future it's our entry wine it's uh, depends on a vintage uh, last year it was two-thirds Raminer and one-third Sauvignon and this year it will be like 80% of Sauvignon and uh, P- Pinot Gris will be the rest because we did some other things with Tramina. Uh, George, have, I, have a, uh, I have a question on that wine. So I think in the U.S. market, we're seeing a lot of attention around the concrete eggs. Um, I'm curious as to what the sphere does differently for the fermentation as opposed to the egg and kind of what made you choose to work with that. I think uh, it's almost the same. Some people are describing egg like a perfect shape in terms of up and down. How can I say how they are comparing with the human golden ratio? You know. Okay. But for yeah, but but for me, conclusion is that both of those shapes they they don't have edges, which is the most important part. So. Uh, since we are aging the wine on the lees inside, the juice is moving all the time. So 
uh, extraction from the lease is heavier so then you have a wine which are more rich on the palate which are wider with a lot of flavor so i'm unsure uh, about the round shape egg shape or like we have one for us which is like a, a bomb style something like this so <laughs> okay. i think that <laughs> all of them are good you know i i i know some uh, winemakers who have everything and then they still have uh, like to have a couple of uh, vintages inside and then to decide which is, what is the best so i look at concrete or ceramics like uh, uh, we are uh, using them to have a micro oxygenation to have a movement inside and not to have a flavors from the wood like to keep the vines fruitier okay so with all those different shapes you're still getting that kind of ther thermodynamic cycling yeah okay yeah cool that is the most important uh, uh, thing and uh, concrete as a, a material uh, it keeps uh, the temp inside the temperature is not so uh, it does not react uh, so quick comparing to outside temperature so during the, the winter it's still hot inside and opposite during the fermentation it uh, the, the juice does not go about 20 degrees which is important for us again to keep the fruity flavors inside cool so you make a pet nat you make this uh spherical uh fermented wine um yeah. and then you also make a rosé right uh we make rosé until this year we made rosé and we won't have it in the future <laughs> oh what? so this was the last vintage of nadia no i have 2019 as well okay and uh, because uh, we are making a rosé from pinot noir and actually it wasn't the wine which we love to drink how can i say um, was it more of that claret style a, like a heavier like richer yes, more meaty yes. rosé mm. yeah we have a problem how 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 can I describe we have a plot of pinot noir which dries out extremely quickly at the end of august so each year we end up with 40 percent of alcohol rosé sometimes it's from uh, dried grapes so okay we love that style but i think that it can't be so successful on the market i'm unsure and it was never my type of wine so then we decided to make that nut from that grape okay <laughs> It is definitely my style wine. <laughs> yeah, it is a it is a big full rosé, like almost like fourteen percent alcohol, like full mallow. So it's this beautiful like strawberries and cream thing going on for me, and like a big plate of brisket. It's the best combo. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah, serve that. You almost serve it like a you would drink a uh, like a like a light red that would be chilled, right? 
and have it that way more than seeing it as a rosé necessarily. But well, that's a bummer. I, Only the last vintage. Grant, do you have any of that 20, uh, 2019 uh, or 2018 rosé? Any rose water? In my, in my last shipment, I uh, had a good chunk of the 2018 and we've got some more on the way. Um, there you go. Yes. So I'll have well, to cling I on to it. it you know, in Serbia, I have, everyone is making like a lobster style, like uh, almost uncolorful rosé. People are all over it. Like, yeah, Provencal rosé. <laughs> That's funny. Yes. And then what about the red wines that you make? What's what's the story with those? Uh, we have uh, uh, Pinot Noir. It's called, the wine is called Pinotti. Mm-hmm. Mm, uh, what is that name? Is Pinotti, does that mean anything? Or Yeah, Pinotti is the name of my dog. Your dog? <laughs> yes, yes. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, when uh, my wife and me, when we decided to have a winery, our own winery, mm-hmm. at that uh, period we we bought a dog and we went to um, uh, a kennel. Mm-hmm. And the um, owner, she gave us uh, three names to choose. Like, okay, you choose a dog. I already signed three names and you have... We want to choose, and all of them were on P, and one was Pinotti, and we were like um, you know, watching each other and say, "Yeah, we will have a Pinot Noir, and we will name it Pinotti." <laughs> that's the story. That's funny. Yeah, because uh, you know when you like, I I could say it's Bikitsky Pinot Noir, or I I could imagine some other name, but this this was a natural thing, like to call it in that it's sli- slightly connected to Pinot Noir. It's called Pinot, mm-hmm. so people I think that are engaged to it as a Pinot Noir. Awesome. Well, guys, uh, is there anything else you guys you wanna you wanna mention before we go out? Grant, anything that you want to communicate to listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think we're just excited to be bringing in some new fun stuff yeah. to Texas, hopefully trying to make our, our wine scene a little bit more interesting and mm-hmm. kind of continue the conversation of making natural wine a little bit more of a, a staple in what we do throughout Texas and excited to be working with George and bringing Bikiski wines here. Georgia, anything you want to let Americans, people here in the States know about uh, the wines that we didn't already talk about? Well, I know that you have one uh, good fair. I think it's in April. It sh- should be in April in Texas of natural wine. I a wild it. world. I hope to see you when this shitty corona <laughs> best i don't know yeah, no, that would be good that would be good we'd love to have you here actually have yeah. that rosé with some brisket maybe we can convince you to make it again in 2021 yeah who knows, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> it wow. might happen cool guys well this has been a lot of fun thank you so much Thanks so much for listening to another episode. If you want to pick up a bottle of the Kisby wines and you're in Houston, you can find them at Venology 
Nancy's Hustle, 13 Celsius, and Heights Grocer. If you happen to be in Austin, Bufalina, Sunrise Market, and The Meteor, all of those are places where you can snag some of these bottles of delicious Serbian wine. And you can subscribe to Buy the Glass wherever you stream your audio content, Apple, Spotify, Google Play. Um, And I want to hear from you. Uh, We're getting to the end of the year. We've got almost a full year's worth of episodes here to do a listener mailbag related to wine, whiskey, spirits, beer, fucking album of the year. If you want to throw down whether Gunna or Taylor Swift or Phoebe Bridgers, whoever you think had the best album of 2020, um, maybe it's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Who knows? Who's to say? Um, I would love to hear from you. If you're listening to this podcast, feel free to email us at podcastbytheglass at gmail.com or slide into our DMs on Instagram. Whatever makes you feel all right. Look forward to hearing from you and we'll see you next week with another episode.